0: Good morning. Uh, Today's scripture reading is going to be from Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them.
1: Thank you, Cassie. Would you join me in prayer for a moment before we look into God's word together? Father, we praise you as the King of love, the one who bears the rod and the staff, who patiently leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, who has promised to call a people to himself from every tribe and language and nation to gather before the throne one day. God, we live in a world that distracts us from these truths. We live in a world where there are so many opportunities to wander from these truths. And Father, we are like sheep tending to go astray. We are not strong in our commitment to you. We need your strength. We need you to look out for us and to protect us from the predators that want to prey on your flock. We need you to watch out for us and discipline us when we wander from the path that you have called us to walk. Father, we need you in every way that you have promised to protect us. And we rejoice in the reality that among those whom you have given to your son, Jesus Christ, not one will be lost. Father, we rejoice that it is not, for, it's not because of our strength that you keep us in your love. It's because of Christ's strength. That even when we are weak and do not know what to say, your spirit utters his words of intercession with groanings that are really too deep for human language. We thank you that your son stands before your throne and represents us in his perfect righteousness when we know that we do not have any righteousness of our own. And so, Father, it's it's on the basis of what Jesus has done that we come before you this morning and ask for your help. We ask for your grace. Lord, I think specifically of the sunshine ministry here at Indian Creek. Uh, there are so many who are shut in away from From the world in their homes or in a nursing home or an assisted living facility. Uh, Many of our own uh, church family are uh, unable to attend services on the weekend. And uh, so we pray that you would raise up many more uh, to minister to the forgotten ones of our community. Thank you for Rita Malden and her leadership of this ministry. And I ask that you would renew her strength and her commitment and her. zeal to see uh, all of these folks reached with the gospel of Christ. And I pray that you would raise up many more to join her ranks. Lord, we pray as well for our building planning team as they move toward a specific vision for a a building to our south, and they begin to work through some of the details of what that building is going to look like. Uh, God, I pray that you would give them unity of spirit and clarity of mind. I pray that they would be able to work through everything that you want them to work through and that you would give them wisdom to move forward in your grace. Uh, Lord, we pray finally for those ministry teams who are right now uh, planning for the next year and uh, thinking about what goals you would have them to pursue and what events you would have them to uh, put on the calendar and what sorts of funding they'll need for those things that they're trying to accomplish. Lord, I pray that you would raise up many to, uh, to fill the roles that need to be filled, that you would cause each member of your flock to be able to use his or her spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. And I pray that you would guide that whole process in your wisdom. And Lord, this morning, I pray that we would see not just truth uh, propositionally, but truth personally that we would encounter you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The East African plains that span the border between Kenya and Tanzania are home to the legendary Maasai people. The Maasai have been herders of livestock for hundreds of years, and a large number of Maasai families continue this tradition even down to this very day. Uh, but the Masai are not famous because they herd cattle, goats, and sheep. A lot of people do that. They are famous because they are warriors, known for their skill with the shield, the spear, and the rungu, a, a short wooden cudgel, a club that could be thrown with great accuracy up to 100 meters See, the Serengeti is not a safe place to lead around a vulnerable flock of sheep and goats. There are predators everywhere. And this was especially the case during the height of Maasai culture in the 19th century. If it weren't enough to have to deal with snakes and and drought and rival clans and the general tendency of the animals to wander away from the herd, the Maasai were constantly on the lookout for the most terrifying threat of all, lions. Massive. Muscular, ruthless predators who patrol the popular grazing spots, hungrily waiting for an unsuspecting goat or sheep to drift away from the flock. But the Maasai are vigilant about this threat. In fact, their entire culture, their entire traditional culture is built up around the need to pursue and to dominate the lion, the threat of the lion. Young boys are taught to discipline themselves, to endure hardship and scarcity and exposure, to grimace bravely in the face of pain and suffering before they're even allowed to embark on a lion hunt to begin with. Even up to the day of the hunt, senior warriors reserve the right to demand that their junior counterparts return home and leave their weapons to the side because it is so important that they be prepared for this event. To kill a lion with spear and rungu, especially to do so single-handedly, would bestow great honor upon a warrior. Such men were revered for their skill and their strength and their courage that they displayed in protection of the flock. Men like this gained a place of honor in the village, and their presence lent a sense of security to the people that lived around them, some some safety, this resiliency to everyone that lived in their area. So the club and the spear, they may have been fearsome to an enemy, but for those in the family, the presence of these weapons... And the warriors who wielded them were a source of comfort. See, a shepherd can't be a wimp. He's a steward of a valuable resource and stands alone in between the vulnerable sheep and the vicious predator. It must be this way. Dr. Kenneth Bailey, in his book, The Good Shepherd, reflects on this reality. He says, sheep have a special problem. They have no defenses. Cats have teeth, claws, and speed. Dogs have their teeth and their speed. Horses can kick, bite, and run. Bears can claw, bite, and crush. Deer can run, but the sheep have no bite or claws and cannot outrun any serious predator. They can butt other sheep, but that ability will not protect them from a wolf or a bear. The sheep's only security... Is the shepherd. I know it's not flattering to say, but that's you. That is all of us. Even you tough guys who work 70 plus hours a week and, and, and can get more stuff done than people half your age, even you are a sheep. We're all sheep, vulnerable, defenseless, lacking control, but just like the Maasai warriors, just like young David in the Old Testament who defended his flock his father's sheep against a lion and a bear, our good shepherd protects his sheep. We're in part 4 of a 5-part series entitled The Good Shepherd. And what we're doing is we're calling through the entire, Bible, the, the entire Bible to ask, what does God's word say about his self-proclaimed identity as the good shepherd of the sheep? We've seen that the good shepherd feeds his sheep. He leads his sheep. He knows his sheep. And this morning we're going to see that the good shepherd protects his sheep. David, in the 23rd Psalm Uh, expresses this truth quite memorably. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He protects us. And this morning, we're going to see that he does so in three ways. He protects us. I'll, I'll just tell you the three ways, and then we're going to break them down one by one. He protects us, first of all, by brandishing the rod, by wielding the staff, And thirdly, by deploying under shepherds. By brandishing the rod, by wielding the staff, and by deploying under shepherds. So consider with me in the first place that the good shepherd protects his sheep by brandishing the rod. Uh, For those of you who raise animals today, I know there are several of you out there in the room. Uh, When you're walking around the pastures or driving around uh, on an ATV and taking care of your animals... I would be willing to bet that most of you are almost always carrying around some sort of rifle or handgun, maybe a light-gauge shotgun. Uh, You don't want to be out there fixing a fence or feeding a group of animals and find yourself unarmed in the face of a rattlesnake or a a, a herd of feral hogs. But in ancient times, when the Bible was written, and I know this is going to come as a shock to you, I'm here to give you information that you probably don't already have. Firearms were not invented yet. So shepherds had to get fairly up close and personal with predators, and the main weapon in their arsenal was what David mentions in the 23rd Psalm, the rod. The rod is like that club that was used by the Maasai. Uh, You get yourself a a hardwood sapling and you dig it out by the roots and you kind of carve away the roots from the root ball until you have this hard knot on the end and then you cut it to size 25 inches and you've got yourself the shepherd's rod. According to the Bible, the rod was used for two purposes. First of all, it was used to count the sheep. Uh, The shepherd uh, would rest the club over the gate of the sheepfold, and one by one, he would create sort of a a bottleneck, and one by one, they, they would pass underneath the rod and be counted as they entered the sheepfold. That's the way the word is used in Leviticus 27.32, for example. But the main use of the rod was to defend the flock against predators, thieves, and lions, and wolves. And what you need to know is that our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, keeps us safe by brandishing the rod he defends us against our enemies and he does so against three types of enemies in particular first of all jesus defends us against thieves bandits robbers burglars he calls these predators to mind in the 10th chapter of john's gospel he says the thief climbs over the wall to steal and to kill and to destroy And while his first listeners could have taken this as a subtle reference to the Roman government that was destroying the people of God even as they were speaking, it's clear that behind these wicked armies there existed a much more sinister enemy, the devil himself. Folks, we live in a modern age, uh, an an age where we uh, embrace so-called science an age in which the supernatural is dismissed and we try to explain everything in terms of physical causes and effects. And we can so easily forget that our enemy is constantly at work, constantly scheming and strategizing and waging war against us because we bear the image of God. And he has countless lieutenants, countless deputies and minions. They don't know everything and they can't be everywhere at once, but they know more than you might think. They're very skilled at what they do. They can't hear everything that you're thinking in your mind, but they do understand that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. They know, they grasp the reality that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And so they observe us. They, watch, they listen to the things that we say, and they watch the things that we do, and they take notes, and they use the information that they glean to wage war using that knowledge that they've obtained, and they're very good at it. Friends, we're exposed to this enemy, and we need our shepherd to protect us, to wield the rod against these thieves and robbers who climb over the wall, who infiltrate our homes and our Churches and our schools and our institutions, and they use trickery and deceit, and He does. According to God's Word, He protects His sheep by brandishing the rod. He sends ministering angels to do battle against wicked powers. We see many examples, excuse me, many examples of that in Scripture. He pleads for us before the throne of grace. He's present with us in the person of His Spirit, who reminds us of His teaching and guides us into all truth. When the lies are flying in from every direction, even the gates of hell itself, spewing forth as they do with the vile hordes of twisted spirits, cannot prevail against the people of God because our shepherd does not leave us alone to get picked off by the enemy. See, what the Bible teaches is that the shepherd protects his flock by brandishing the rod against the thieves and the robbers. Secondly, though, he also brandishes the rod against wolves. Uh, Paul tells the pastors of the church in Ephesus that he says, after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come in, and they're not going to spare the flock. They're going to they're try to come in and tear the sheep to shreds. Uh, of course, the wolf is uh, a threat to any flock of sheep, but in the case of Christ's flock, the wolves are suggestive of those men and women who prey upon the sheep using false teaching and false prophecy and spreading a gospel that's anything but good news. And in Acts 20, Paul warns that these men could come from outside the church or they could come from the the ranks of the church herself. There's never been a time when the flock of God has been free from the wolves. Uh, They're always around, but frankly, there are times when it seems as though we're more susceptible to this threat now Than we've ever been. I mean, think about this, folks. American Christianity has so loosened the ropes that tie us to the anchor of our souls that at times it's hard to even recognize what biblical Christianity even is. Uh, About once a year or so, pollsters ask those who say they are Christians to describe what they believe about Jesus or about the Holy Spirit or about heaven or about hell. Uh, these are simple questions, straightforward questions, questions that our wanna kids could probably answer accurately, and yet the answers given so often are a heartbreaking travesty of the Christian faith. Without fail, the evidence suggests uh, that, that so-called Christians in the United States are embracing a religion that has less and less to do with Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Bible, with every passing year. Now, you want to know why this is happening? it's partly because these ravenous wolves are coming in and they're not sparing the flock. They're picking people off one by one, giving these false doctrines. Folks, (laughs) I just don't know if we really appreciate that this is happening to the degree that it is. I mean, do you understand how much money, how much power there is to be gained by the wolves that want to prey on the flock of Jesus Christ. I mean, it is everywhere. Billions of dollars, millions of votes, and the wolves have learned what things to say and do that will get the stupid sheep to start following where they want them to go. Here, take my money, take my vote. These are people who see godliness as a means of gain. They are everywhere. And if ever there was a time when you could trust a denominational identity or a publishing house or a TV network or a musical producer or a radio station to do your discerning for you, then that time is long gone. You walk into the Christian bookstore, you turn on so called Christian radio or TV, you start searching for preachers on YouTube or Spotify. And folks, you are swimming with sharks. And what I'm saying is that Jesus desires to protect us from these wolves. He wields the rod. A lot of times we don't see it. We don't have all the facts. We don't see all the things he's doing behind the scenes, but I think that one day we're going to be surprised to learn just how many times the good shepherd kept us from the wolves, from the wicked men who wanted to drag us away from the truth of the gospel. But the point for us is, if we're going to be protected from the wolves, we better stay close to the shepherd. The good shepherd brandishes the rod against the robbers, against the wolves. But thirdly, against those who were supposed to shepherd the flock but decided to abuse it instead. Uh, This is the meaning, really, of Ezekiel 34, the passage that Cassie read just a few uh, minutes ago. The rulers of Judah had ruled selfishly, short-sightedly, until God just wasn't going to put up with it anymore. Uh, King Zedekiah and all of his nobles were supposed to be stewards of the flock of God. They were supposed to care for God's people, not as the owners of the flock, but as stewards over God's flock. But they did the opposite. They destroyed the flock. Ezekiel says that they were feeding themselves instead of feeding the sheep. Jeremiah, the the prophet, a contemporary of Ezekiel, describes how Zedekiah would ignore the oracles of prophets. How he selfishly rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar in spite of God's warnings to the contrary. Hoping for a chance at personal acclaim and an increase in wealth. And the result was a devastating siege and slaughter everywhere. The shepherds of Israel weren't caring for the sheep. But God promises to protect his flock from these selfish leaders. What a sobering thought for those of us who have been called to pastoral ministry. May it never be that that the good shepherd needs to bear the rod and and protect the sheep from me. Years ago, uh, the church my family belonged to went through some difficult times. Uh, evidently there were two guys in lay leadership at the church who had collaborated together to sort of take over and steer things toward a specific doctrinal position. Uh, they weren't honest about what they were doing. They were really sneaky. They operated under the cloak of darkness. And it wasn't until years later that their schemes began to come to light. And I don't want to read into this too much. God doesn't tell me why he does what he does or why he allows what he allows. But all I can tell you is what happened. These things come to light, and within the span of just a few weeks, one of those men had a fatal heart attack, and the other was thrown through the windshield of his pickup to his death. And I was reminded of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Do you remember what he says when he talks about communion and the Lord's table? He says, there are people out there who are not discerning the body and the blood of the Lord. They're not treating this as a a means to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They're using it as a way to personally advance themselves in the church. And for this reason, what does he say? Many are sick among you and many sleep. Now, I don't know if that's what happened in the case of these two guys. But what Paul seems to say in the scriptures is that the good shepherd has no qualms about taking someone home early if they begin to use the flock for selfish means. One thing is for sure, we're going to find out what happened one day with those guys. We'll see that the good shepherd has borne the rod against the thieves, against the wolves, against the false shepherds who fleece the sheep instead of caring for God's flock. And so, the very first thing we need to ask ourselves is this If the Good Shepherd wields the rod against the enemies of his flock, and it's suggestive of the way that he keeps predators at bay, if it's true that God will bear the rod against any threat to the body of Christ, is there any way in which I am becoming that threat? Is there any way in which you are becoming that threat? May it never be. May the Lord keep us from uttering a word of false teaching, from backbiting and from gossip, from using the church as a means to gain personal power, from looking at the precious lambs of Jesus Christ as a source of financial windfall. May it never be, friends. Jesus will protect the sheep of Indian Creek Baptist Church. He will rescue his little lambs from the teeth of the lion, and you don't want to be in his way when he does. Secondly, though, consider with me that the good shepherd protects his sheep by wielding the staff. By wielding the staff. As David said in the 23rd Psalm, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If the rod was the the shepherd's primary weapon against predators who would threaten the flock, the staff was the shepherd's primary tool in corralling the sheep themselves. Uh, I'm sure most of you can picture this staff in your mind's eye. It's a Uh, A long, slender pole, about five or six six feet long, even down to this present day, shepherds used to, uh, shepherds will take a a piece of ram's horn and fasten it on the end in the shape of a crook, and uh, they use these things to corral the sheep. Best-selling author James Rebanks, in his fascinating memoir, The Shepherd's Life, points out that sheep are generally faster and more agile than human beings in the wilderness, And they're naturally suspicious, and so they'll only allow the shepherd to come within a few feet of them, and then they kind of jump away, and so it's hard to catch the sheep. And so the staff becomes a kind of extension of the shepherd's reach. It's a way for him to keep his sheep close. Those times when a sheep is wandering a little too far from the shepherd, or when he needs to examine a damaged leg or inspect their woolen coat, he'll reach out and he'll hook that animal, and he'll draw it to himself. In other words, if the rod was used to protect the sheep from the predators that were prowling around the flock, he uses the staff to protect the sheep from themselves. The staff in the hands of the good shepherd is the way in which he guides and disciplines his sheep. You know, many times the threat that's faced by uh, the sheep of God's flock is not so much an outside predator, as it is our own tendency to to wander and do silly, stupid sheep stuff. Uh, Our good shepherd doesn't just leave us to ourselves. He protects us from ourselves by wielding the staff. And, uh, of course, I'm talking about the way that he lovingly, as a good father, disciplines his children. Uh, So let's just take a moment to talk about what this means. King Solomon reminds his son in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. That is, don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss the discipline of the Lord. Don't run from it. Don't regard it lightly. Don't resist it. That The writer to the Hebrews brings this very passage to mind when he addresses believers in the body of Christ. He, both writers, they call out this tendency among all of us to look at the discipline of the Lord and think, well, that, that just must be God being angry with me. I must have made him really mad. He must be really harsh. He must be really displeased. And one of the reasons that we think this way is because quite often that's how human relationships work. We do something that someone else doesn't like. Uh, Many of us grew up in a home where we we simply didn't hear from dad unless we had done something so horribly wrong that it made him so angry that he just kind of lashed out at us. And we think for a second that maybe God is this way. We experience these negative circumstances and we begin to grow bitter toward him. We think, I must have made God angry. And instead of drawing closer to the shepherd, we pull back. We think I better clean myself up before I come back to God in prayer, before I return to church. I don't think God wants to hear from me or see me right now. But folks, that's, that's not the way that our shepherd operates. I mean, yes, it's true that God hates sin and rebellion more deeply than anyone in existence. That is accurate. It's true that his infinite wrath burns against the wickedness and the stubbornness of men. It's true that your sin is offensive to his holiness and his justice and that he sees comprehensively and immediately every imperfection and every wicked thought and every idle word and every selfish deed. Yes, all of that is true, but do not forget the good news that is just covering every page of the scriptures. Don't forget that in the moment when human beings rebelled, When he could have snuffed them out and started over, instead he stayed his hand. He offered a promise of future redemption and he provided a covering for their shame. Don't forget that he sent his one and only son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to bear the condemnation of the world in his own body on the cross. Don't forget that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you were uninterested in righteousness and unable to save yourselves, he made you alive in Christ and made you his own child. Don't forget that when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. The price had been paid in full. The debt has been canceled. The charges have been dropped. God's wrath towards you has been fully and completely satisfied. Not a drop is left. Don't forget. You don't need to pay for any part of your forgiveness. It's already paid for. Jesus paid it all. So when you experience the discipline of the Lord... It's not punishment. It's not him losing his temper a little bit. It's proof of his fatherly love, it's evidence of his pastoral care for your soul. See, he loves you too much to leave you where you are. His plans for you are far greater than any plans that you have for yourself. And so lovingly, wisely, patiently, he allows circumstances in your life that push you to the next level that he wants you to take in your Christian walk. So don't run from him like a silly sheep. Draw close to the shepherd. He means to protect you not only from predators but also from yourself. He wields the staff for your good. This is the meaning of Romans 8.28 and following the passage that Whitley read. All things work together for, for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because what does he want to do? He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. How is he wielding the staff in your life today? How is he pursuing you in loving discipline? Is it through conviction of sin? You're living in a way that you know is displeasing to him and instead of leaning into the way that the spirit is disciplining you away from that lifestyle, you're pulling back from the good shepherd. Is it to a calling towards specific ministry or to a specific conversation that the Holy Spirit wants you to have with somebody else and you're putting it off? Is he pulling you back to reconcile with a brother or a sister in Christ you've been at odds with? See, so often we're like the sheep some of you may have seen on YouTube. You remember that YouTube video? Some of you have probably seen it. Uh, I watched this a few months ago. There's a, a young shepherd uh, pulling this helpless sheep from a narrow trench. And you just can't help but feel bad for the sheep. He's confu- or she's confused. She doesn't know what's going on. The sheep is resisting, but the shepherd is persisting. Finally, he gets the sheep by the leg and yanks her out, pop, and disoriented and scared. The sheep bounds away from the shepherd, running down the length of the the, the trench until finally she tries to jump over it to the other side and right back in. This is what we do. The shepherd wields the staff and we so often plunge headfirst right back into the ditch again. Let's be honest. We're like that sheep. And so what do we need? We need a patient and caring and loving shepherd, someone who will guide us and patiently wield the staff and and bring us back to the place where we need to be. We need it every day. And that's what he does. The good shepherd protects his sheep. He brandishes the rod. He wields the staff. But thirdly, consider with me that the good shepherd protects his sheep by deploying under shepherds. He deploys under shepherds. Uh, In the passage that we read earlier in the service, God himself laments over the conditions of his flock in Ezekiel 34. He says this, my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. And he gives a specific reason why they are in such a sorry state. Why is it that the sheep are a prey? Why is it that the sheep have become food for all the wild beasts? He tells us right then and there, it's because there was no shepherd. The context makes clear that even though God himself is the good shepherd who protects his sheep, in his sovereign plan, he works through human under-shepherds. He deploys them for the protection and the nurture of the flock. Dr. Timothy Laniak in his biblical theology text, Shepherds After My Own Heart, calls this God's predilection for human agency. That is, it is his plan to glorify his name by using broken vessels like you and me to do his work in the world. That is what glorifies him more than anything else. And Ezekiel tells us in that passage in Ezekiel 34 that when the sheep are without a human shepherd... They are vulnerable and unprotected, and the result is that they become a prey, food for all the wild beasts. Now let's just park here for a minute because it has wide practical implications for us today. I just wonder if we understand how important this is. In 1 Peter 5, the apostle Peter commands the elders of the churches to whom he was writing, you shepherd the flock. The writer to the Hebrews, he exhorts believers in general, obey your leaders and submit to them. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the elders of, church, uh, of the church. The context makes that clear. He says, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Can you think of anything that is more offensive to our modern sensibilities? Submit to your leaders. Obey your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, the elders of the church who are commanded to shepherd the flock. Did you know that the New Testament commands you to do that? Why would Jesus ask you to do that? Why would he ask you to to submit to a specific group of men in a specific local church? Well, we're told right there in the next phrase, uh, in that Hebrews passage, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. In other words, they keep watch. They're under shepherds. They're going to give an account to the chief shepherd. The good shepherd is protecting his sheep. And one of the ways that he's protecting his sheep is he's deploying these men in the local church, these elders in the local church, and to make sure that they stay on task, one of the things he does is he reminds the shepherds of the church that they are going to stand before him one day and give an account for the health of the flock. I left you responsible for 124 sheep. And you're able to answer for 113, but what about the other 11? Okay, let's look at how the sheep I left in your care are doing. How healthy are they? Do they have enough to eat? Are they eating the right things? What about the predators? Have you kept the wolves away? Have you been vigilant? Are they healthy, enough to reproduce to go out and find other sheep? I know that sounds probably kind of silly, but the elders in any local church know that that stewardship, that accountability is not silly at all. It's deadly serious. Every elder worth his salt has spent time meditating on Paul's farewell discourse delivered to the elders of the Ephesians church in the 20th chapter of Acts. In addition to repeating the command to shepherd the flock well, Paul, the apostle, describes the ministry of a faithful elder as sort of this multifaceted gem, a ministry he himself exemplified for three years when he had lived with them. He says that a faithful shepherd is a shepherd who is known by the sheep, a shepherd who is humble, who is compassionate, and drawn toward those in his care, not just his favorites, all, uh, people of all stripes. A faithful shepherd is one who is courageous. He's willing to say that which is unpopular. His selfless ministry is the same in public as it is in private. He's vigilant. He's discerning. He recognizes danger and he warns the flock faithfully. You know, We won't take the time to read that passage, but suffice it to say that any church blessed with these types of leaders, these types of shepherds, is truly being cared for by the good shepherd himself. Indian Creek, none of our elders want to be compared to the Apostle Paul. I mean, that's a terrifying thing. But God has given you a group of men who are faithfully leading this flock. And I'm not necessarily talking about myself right now. I'm talking about the six other men that God has called to lead this flock. You might be new. You might not know them personally yet. Their names are listed in the bulletin as our elders And and folks, these are men who serve well. These are men who invest their time in the task of shepherding. They pray for you. They work for you. It's a hard job. It eats up a lot of their time. It puts them in situations where they have to make unpopular decisions or say unpopular things. And we're told in Scripture that it would be unprofitable for you as a church to push back against that. Because this is one of the ways that God protects his flock. He raises up men to stand watch for the lives of the sheep. In fact, when the Lord wishes to bear the rod against the enemies of his flock or when he wishes to wield the staff in support of the sheep, it's often the elders of a local church that he uses to do those very things. Well, how should you respond to that? First of all... For a small percentage of you, the truth of the matter is that God is already working in your heart to aspire to that very office. Paul says this in First, in first Timothy chapter 3. If any man desires the, the office of an overseer, if he aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a noble work that he desires to do. Uh, if God is laying it on your heart to pursue that type of ministry, that's nothing to be embarrassed about. That's something to be excited about. It might take time to prepare, but let us help you pursue that calling. That's God taking care of his church, protecting the flock. Secondly, though, it behooves the sheep to follow their under shepherd. So let me tell you what that does and does not mean. It doesn't mean, and all the elders know this, it doesn't mean that we decide everything for everybody and you do whatever we say. What it means is that the sheep should follow the scriptural teaching and the Bible-based example of the elders that, that God has put to shepherd the local church. And that presupposes, folks, that in order to enjoy the protection of the good shepherd. You take advantage of a clearly defined relationship with a specific set of local church leaders by pursuing church membership and ensuring that you spend time regularly with the church body. I mean, you can't do it. You can't take advantage of the thing that God has given you unless that happens. In other words, if God is going to use these men in your life, then you have to know them. And you have to allow yourself to be known. You must lean into the ways that God protects his sheep. Years ago, uh, the church where I was serving on staff invited one of our missionaries to speak on a Sunday morning and then joined some of the leaders of the church for lunch, and I was able to sit in on that. This was a guy who had spent a lot of time ministering in very difficult contexts in the world, some Communist countries where it was illegal to be a Christian, and other Muslim countries where it would have been illegal to to share the gospel and i, I don 't know whose idea it was, but as we were eating lunch, somebody uh, brought over one of those uh, TVs on a on a cart you know like we used to have in school and and uh, pulled up a YouTube video about uh, the future of the church and the the gist of the video was something like. You know, Statistics show that by such and such a year, Europe is going to be overtaken by Muslims and the United States is going to be totally devoid of Christianity altogether and the church is just going to peter out and die and, and, and the church is just done and, and there's almost nothing we can do. But maybe if you step in and you try really hard, you can save the church of Jesus Christ from, from falling out of existence the point of the video was to motivate people to mobilize for the gospel but it, it concluded and my pastor turned it off and he looked at his missionary friend the guy that we were supporting and he said can you comment on this i mean you've been in some of these countries that are dominated by islam and uh some other countries that are dominated by a secular humanism and atheism and and Uh, We were all just kind of sitting there waiting, like, what's he going to say? And he just basically said, who cares? Like, who cares what the devil is up to, in other words? Because there is no way that Jesus is going to let go of his sheep. And yes, it's true that he's going to use human agents to accomplish his will, but Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to protect his flock. And if I, if I were to take you over to some of these countries to see what God is doing, then you would, you would recognize that the Holy Spirit is strengthening his church, he's protecting his church, he's leading his church. And what I mean to say is that if Jesus can protect the flock, folks, in North Korea, In Mogadishu, in Central Asia, if he can raise up martyrs by the thousands whose lives bear witness to the truth of the gospel and he can grow the church in, in the most hostile environments, then, folks, he can protect this flock too. And he promises to do so. The good shepherd brandishes the rod. He wields the staff. He deploys under shepherds. And come what may, he protects his sheep. So you can trust him to keep your soul safe to the end. Would you pray with me? Father, we just want to rest in the truth for a moment that it doesn't depend on us. It depends all on you. We want to rest in the reality that you will protect your flock. And yeah, there are scary things in the world. Predators prowling around trying to pick off the sheep one by one. But you promise in your word that the Lord knows the ones who are his. And so, Father, I pray that you would first of all give us faith that you will do what you sent Jesus into the world to do. And then, Father, I pray that you would give us a heart of obedience to to lean into the ways that you are protecting us from those enemies and from ourselves. And, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.